Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 198. We'll conclude the Proverbs with a brief summary of chapters 28 through 31 and follow with some thoughts about Jezebel. In the previous episode, I shared the observation that if the chapters of Psalms seem disconnected from each other, the verses of Proverbs are more so. Chapter 28 is no exception. Is Mishle riffing? Perhaps. Three of the maxims seem to be connected only because of assonance. We encounter all types of folks in the first 10 verses, good and bad, but the three offenders in verses 8 through 10 are set up and like bowling pins knocked down one after the other. For example, quote, who increases his wealth through interest and usury will amass it for one kind to the poor. Who turns his ear from listening to teaching, his very prayer is loathsomeness. Who misleads the upright to an evil way, in his own pit he will fall, and the blameless will inherit good. Money seems to be the root cause of all the wickedness, but also a path to wisdom. Mishle advises us how not to earn it, followed with advice as to the best way to acquire wealth. For example, quote, who tills his soil is sated with bread, but who pursues empty things is sated with poverty. A trustworthy man abounds in blessings, but who hastens to enrich himself will not go scot-free. Mishle also has words about the confident. The one who is confident in God will flourish, but, quote, who trusts in his own heart, he is a fool. Chapter 29 is the last chapter in the section transcribed by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and it is filled with standalone words to the wise, like, quote, When the righteous are many, a people rejoices, but when the wicked man rules, a people groans. Or, rod and rebuke impart wisdom, but a lad run loose shames his mother. In all, the vibe seems to be one of restraint, of delaying gratification to set a good example. It's sound advice, but a challenge for many, as the advice recurs often in different ways, like, quote, reprove your son and he will give you ease, and offer delicacies for your palate. Chapter 30 introduces us to the wisdom of Agur, son of Yakeh, the oracle, and Itiel and Uchal, and it comes across in a totally different manner and fashion. The wisdom is delivered in first person, and more importantly, Agur basically says that any wisdom he might have pretended to attain amounts to nothing. Quote, For I am a brute among men, and no human discernment have I. I have not learned wisdom, nor the knowledge of the holy ones do I know. Who has gone up to the heavens and come down? Who has scooped up the wind in his palms? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has raised up all ends of the earth? What is his name or the name of his son that you should know? Agor will drop some verses here, all connected to numbers. He turns to God with two requests. Quote, two things have I asked of you. Do not withhold them from me before I die. Falsehood and lying words keep far from me. Privation and wealth do not give me. Provide me my allotted bread. And then he tears a strip off his own generation. Quote, a generation that reviles its father and its mother it does not bless. A generation that is pure in its eyes, though it has not been washed of its filth. A generation how haughty its eyes and its eyelids how arrogant. A generation whose teeth are swords and meat cleavers its jaws to devour the lowly from the earth and the impoverished from humankind. That's four. Then he proceeds with a parable of two daughters who say, Money, please! And then, quote, 
Three things are there that are not sated, four that do not say enough. Sheol and a blocked womb, the earth unsated with water and fire, which does not say enough. And then three more, quote, three things are there too wondrous for me and four that I cannot know. The eagle's way in the heavens, the way of the snake on a rock, the ship's way in the heart of the sea, and the way of a man in a young woman. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I did nothing wrong. This is starting to sound like a moody blues song or the title of a Sufjan Stevens album, but it continues. About three plus one things that make the earth shudder, or the four things that are the smallest on the earth, but the wisest because wisdom beats size and strength every time, and three things that stride handsomely in a fourth that handsomely walks, in each instance a quick listicle, and then it moves on. Chapter 31 concludes Proverbs with the words of Lemuel, who shares the lessons he learned from his reproving mother, especially about staying away from booze and wild women. And then Lemuel shares what is arguably the most famous section of Proverbs, otherwise known as Eshet Chayil, a worthy woman, or as it is commonly translated, a woman of valor. It is an ode written in acrostic form to the perfect woman, the very embodiment of wisdom and capacity. Her attributes are lauded with each letter of the Aleph bit, and the ode concludes with a reminder that, quote, grace is a lie and beauty mere breath, a woman fearing Adonai, it is she who is praised. It is tempting to dig into Eshet Chayil, the woman of valor, to revisit this ode to womanhood, traditionally sung to the woman of the house on Friday night and of late to brides on their wedding day, oftentimes by their grooms. But rather than speak of this woman of valor in the abstract, I'd like to focus on a compelling thesis offered by Dr. Ahuva Eshman at the site Mikranet. I'll include the link to the article on the show page, but be warned the article is in Hebrew. In her piece entitled A Woman of Valor Who Shall Find, Dr. Eshman doesn't bury the lead even for a second. For her, the only real woman of valor in the Tanakh is Izevel, otherwise known in English as Jezebel. Like the stories of all women in the Tanakh, Izevel's story is delivered in a fragmented fashion, suffused with patriarchal ideology and conventions, but it is also undeniably about a woman of immense power and influence. Dr. Eshman proceeds to offer a reading of Izevel's story through the prism of Mishle and parallels to the story of Tashmetu Sharat Nakia, the wife of 8th century BCE Assyrian king Sancheriv. Buckle up. But first... Are Eshet Chayil. Mishle tells us she is a woman of influence who derives much of her power from her financial acumen and wealth. She has access to resources, she wears imported clothing, she has access to markets, and is able to produce goods at profit. She also happens to be generous, diligent, and devout. Although some hold her up as the model for all women, especially as she focuses her energies on advancing her family, Eshet Chayil is clearly of the 1%. From this perspective alone, there can be only one woman in the Tanakh who fits this bill, Izevel. And this same woman is arguably the most reviled woman in all of the Tanakh. Coincidence? Hmm. 
I don't know. Dr. Eshman proceeds to break down letter by letter in Michelet's acrostic how Izevel fits the bill. She is wealthy. She feeds and supports her family. She advises her husband in matters of state. She is fully engaged in all aspects of the market economy. She, like Eshet Chayil, also plans for the future. But, as Dr. Eshman points out, the sources in First and Second Kings also emphasize her foreignness, the very mirror image and opposite of the Eshet Chayil. Which makes sense. She is a Phoenician princess, after all, an idolater, which for the Tanakh is a moral failure. But on top of that, she's also ruthless. And so a Jezebel is a treacherous, wily woman who will lead you, Mr. Man, to temptation and ruin. Dr. Eshman then pivots to talk about Tashmetu Sharat Nakia, the wife of Assyrian king Sanchariv. If Izevel's portrayal was wholly negative, processed and filtered through a layer of patriarchal xenophobic ideology, Nakia's is a different story altogether, which may give us some insight into what might have been for Izevel had she not been manhandled by the authors of First and Second Kings. Nakia was the strongest queen mother in the history of Assyria. She ascended to her position during the reign of Sargon II in 721 BCE when she married Sargon II's son, Sanchariv, for political reasons. It was she who finagled the appointment of her sickly youngest son, Esarhaddon, as heir to the throne over the elder and Sanchariv's pick, Arda Mulisu, after the eldest had died suddenly. Sanchariv's loyalists were compelled to swear allegiance to Hesar Hadan, which provoked Ardamulisu to conspire against his father and assassinate him. At which point Hesar Hadan, at his mother's behest, raised an army and seized Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and installed himself king. During this period, Nakia was very active in government as letters addressed to her attest. We also have the building inscription from a palace that she had built for Esarhaddon, dedicatory inscriptions and administrative and economic documents indicating that she was very wealthy and supported a large household staff. We also have a bronze plate which represents Nakia next to her son, both offering sacrifices to the Assyrian pantheon and further documents that allude to the fact that her statue stood next to her sons in temples across the empire. Documents also refer to Nakia as skilled like Adapa, the mythological sage that had insight into the future, or state that her decisions are as decisive as those of the gods. Could this not have been Izevel's legacy as well? Absolutely, she could have been as respected and admired as Nakia, except in the hands of the authors of First and Second Kings, she became the poster girl for the evils of intermarriage and the threat posed by exogamous marriage practices. See what happens when you allow foreign women into the nation? In a city where anything can happen. In a different world, one less obsessed with racial purity and misogyny, Izevel could have been a real-time and real-world example of an Eshet Chayil, an exceptional woman. One who, like, quote, many daughters have done worthy things, but you, you surpass them all. Today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Tell a friend about TanakhCast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to TanakhCast. 
And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently, it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 199, when we begin the Book of Job with chapters 1 through 3.